Well, uh, we were, of course, talking about uh, the English beat are back. I mean, you've been around, you've been playing for years, but this is a new record, right? There's going to be a new record. That seems maddening new, at this point. I know. A new record coming in February. I'm, um, I'm really excited. But we just started a pledge music campaign, mm-hmm. pledgemusic.com. So people who like your music already can kind of pledge forward and they buy your record in advance or a number of fun premiums, the most popular of which seems to be um, a handwritten lyric of your choice. Hopefully one of my songs, but I suppose <laughs> I'd write anything. I'll do Morrissey <laughs> if I have to. No, there, um, it used to be, I mean, it, it is different than, than back in the days, as you were saying, you know, when, when the beat were on the, their first round, um, there was even a buffer between uh, the band and, and the fans. You know, it, the mm-hmm. bands weren't as instantly accessible unless you waited for two hours after the show to hope to get a glimpse of it. Um, you know, th- this has changed. And, and have you been yeah. dealing with that well? Or were you able to jump right in? Or did it take some adjustments to go, okay, now this is a one on one conversation. You're actually giving me your money to get this done? Well, the, the problem is slightly difficult more difficult for me because I've always been a bit garrulous and uh, we took our lead really from the buzzcocks and the undertones and kind of wore the same clothes as the audience and hung around at the bar before and after the show so ours was the man of the people shtick Mm -hmm, if you will mm -hmm. and so what's interesting for us is now to and I've had to you had to work carefully with Pledge. It was like, well, I already talked to all these people. They already know they can meet me and have a cigarette after the show because they have done for the last 20 years. So right. I don't want to start selling stuff. But that's right. part of my normal routine anyway. And in a way, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit daft, I think, some of it. Uh, people have adopted the new paradigm a bit too much. Plenty of people who've kept their fans at arm's length, somebody else's arm's length, <laughs> For the last 20 years, all of a sudden want to come round your house and play you acoustic songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I find all a bit dubious, really, you know. But uh, So we had to find a, a, a decent balance. We didn't want to start selling stuff that people had just become accustomed to anyway. And we tried to come up with some, some interesting spins and takes on it. Like, you can have an autographed CD for a few extra bucks or... If you want to, for a bit more money, I'll write absolutely anything you like on a record sleeve, 140 characters. For the length of a tweet, I'll write, you just write it, I'll write it and sign it. That's my promise to you. The beat in the age of the tweet. That's yes, a... that's a beat tweet. <laughs> hey, you, you've also, uh, you, you're, uh, you're tying Doctors Without Borders into it, right? Yes. Uh, well, pledgemusic.com, I'm told, actually started off as a company trying to seed new charities and so they, they like to keep a charitable component and they like, uh, sort of suggested like a tithe you know mm-hmm. so a percentage of it goes to Doctors Without Borders well I've worked with Doctors Without Borders a few times and I like them and I think they're a great organisation that sort of anybody could like uh, some organisations people could like or dislike them for political reasons, say, like, I worked for Greenpeace for many years and supported them forever, but I know some people who are more conservative feel a bit wary about, you know, liberal environmentalism mm. and that sort of thing. Mm. But with Doctors Without Borders, it, it, it's a bit hard to find anything to dislike. I mean, there's places where there's wars going on, probably even now, and the only people that either side trust about what's actually going on on the ground is Doctors Without Borders. 
that's their, their degree of integrity they've had and uh, and are one of the people who can actually offer safe passage through war zones because they're one of the few organizations that are seen as being uh, truly beneficial to anybody who's in trouble yeah. uh, so I like them for that and uh, with what we're seeing going on in the moment in Gaza and mm-hmm. in Israel it's even more pertinent isn't it you know I've spent my whole life watching this carnage on TV and I feel rotten sorry for the people involved yeah, and yeah. I, I, I wonder if the perpetrators know how discouraging it is to the rest of the world to watch people acting in such a sickening way it doesn't stop does it I mean regardless of, of who's right and who's wrong it's just people killing other people's kids at this point like that's all it seems to me it's like kids are dying yes. regardless there's of what the cause song. is kids there's are dying the, there's a song on our new record which is a bit about this I don't mean to diminish it by talking about it it's a song but it just says I'm sick of it myself it says if killing works it would have worked by now yeah no, right. it's as simple as bloody that <laughs> you know you, and the song says you turn on your TV you see what they've done yeah. they've made our culture look like a setting sun but we're better than that because we know how if killing worked it would have worked by now come on killing each other's kids for 30,000 years and it still ain't worked it's staying working I've been seeing some other musicians in the news that have been speaking out about it and just being completely chastised uh, you know, nearly killed themselves for for just. It, it, I don't. I think it's surprising to me that it's surprising these days <laughs> that uh, you know most musicians might be on the uh, the left side of things and and feel very passionate about these things. You know, as yes, a, I mean, uh, I don't know if I'm to the left anymore. Really, I mean, I think you drift slowly to the right. It depends where you start. Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. you you lose you lose some faith in human nature with each decade. You know, you start off thinking everybody's intrinsically good and then you walk into a few train wrecks and then slowly you start to think well everybody might actually be intrinsically bad but we might be able to subtly find a way to tolerate each other and you know diminish each other's worst effects like pebbles rubbing each other's uh, sharp spots off in a river Um, you know you you don't want to be uh, part in the sky optimistic about things we know what we're like and it's hard for me to trust anybody else because i know i don't trust myself under pressure I, you know, i'd eat my mother's face <laughs> everybody would put, put anybody in a corner hard enough eat your own mother's face we know what we're like we're human beings and that's a problem with our systems our systems don't take that into account yeah we all have these great altruistic ideas and it doesn't really matter if capitalism, communism, socialism, any of the isms, they're all built on the notion that we're actually going to tell the truth. But we know that we don't. We know we all start lying as soon as it gets difficult. And none of our systems take that into account. If we built a system built on the fact that we probably, none of us are going to keep our word, we'd have a chance. (laughs) Eat your own mother's face. I hope that's the name of, like, your autobiography someday. It's a... No, no, it was going to be eat your mother's face, actually. Was the other side. <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea. It's at least a theme we could work on. Yeah. I, I don't want to keep this completely political, although I, I, I definitely wanted to talk about that a little bit. I know that's, you know, part of who you are, part of your life. Um, you know, so is, this is the first record since 1982, uh, which has got to be maddening in, in a little bit, right? Because that's... Well, there's some general public records. No, right, 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 records, right. So, it's not, it's not the first time back in a studio. No. I mean, we did I'll Take You There, and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. we've done a few things. Just talking uh, about with the beat, really. 
You know, it's 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 a oh, brand. Oh, I what you mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it's a brand that I'm getting to. You can have a band that hasn't made a record in 10 years, and it's like, okay, they're back. But to do something that long ago, I mean, it would almost seem like there is there is so much passion and, and so much love for that band name this far along. It's like, what could, what, how could we expect something? And, and has that registered with you at all to be like, okay, this is the well, first... Well, look, I mean, if you remember back... All those years, the first record was called "I Just Can't Stop It." <laughs> Chilo, yeah, you but know? you can't, just can't stop it. But you also said that uh, you know the, the quote that I'm sure is being thrown at you: "Every great band only has three uh, really good albums." This would make yes, your fourth with, with, album. With that same lineup, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. This would Absolutely. make album number four. So, uh, <laughs> but, I mean, a completely different lineup, you say. Yeah, I, I, when I when I said band, I meant you know congregation of artistic people. Mm-hmm. So we probably did have three great records. And by that same Rubicon, then this is the first of three great more records. Ah, there we go. <laughs> well played. Hey. I got slick over the three decades. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, was it was it hard to recapture the magic, though? You know, of of the beat from what we love from the beat. You know, when you go back in there and, and you're wearing this moniker, was it hard to recapture some of that stuff that we uh, that we did fall in love with? Well, the nice thing is, I, I play 150 shows a year, mm-hmm. and I'm fairly well marinated in the magic of it. So it wasn't difficult doing the demos, mm-hmm. and some interestingly enough, some. I didn't try to make anything sound like anything. I just tried to capture the songs and see what we'd got. We demoed 20 songs, and some of them sounded just like beat songs to people. Some of them sounded just like general public songs. Some sounded like the period in between. It was very interesting, and uh, I played them to a lot of friends and gave them CDs, and also trusted old friends, music business, radio types, and... uh, it was very interesting, the, uh, the congregation of songs got whittled down, and now we have 12 that we're going to start with, and once we've got them underway, we'll record a few more, because we're going to uh, try and give away some of the tracks as downloads when people buy a ticket for the concert, mm. and some live tracks, and maybe some acoustic tracks, so I make the, the concert even more fun to come to. We've got, got more songs than we need, which is... <laughs> <laughs> a rare occurrence. It's a good place to be in. No, it happens about every twenty-five years, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, sound-wise, is this is does this fit in with the old song? Do these new songs kind of sit right oh, next to? You're asking all the right questions, aren't yeah. you? Hmm. Uh, it's a fascinating <laughs> conundrum. How do you make a record that appeals and sounds enough like what people loved thirty years ago mm-hmm. to still sound attractive to them and at the same time how do you make that record sound attractive and contemporary enough that if somebody who's never heard of me walks past somebody else's radio and hears it and goes oh that's a good song I like that mm-hmm. we'll use some of the paradigms that we used originally in the beat and we'll try and integrate some of the technology that's come about since and we'll use some of the live energy that we've created on stage and we're going to try and combine all three of those to make a record that could sound like the Lost Beat album from 1980 or it could be the new single from Foster the People's Dance Mix. <laughs> 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 that's, 
the idea. Well, I can't, I can't wait to hear if it, if it holds up to that. You, I mean, you guys were in such a great uh, scene there, you know, with, uh, with with you know what we called the ska scene back then, which has been a fascinating genre the whole time because it's not a genre that just keeps going perpetually. It comes in waves. Uh, folk will come into vogue and go out of vogue, but it seems like with ska, it's like there and then it's gone and then it's there and then it's gone. Oh, yes, what it is, it's, it's just gone under the surface. It usually follows, interestingly enough, after you get a brief period of punk and it gets all frantic, on the back of that, somebody starts playing an off-piece and you end up with a new wave of ska punk bands. Yeah. And what tends to happen is each time it happens, it's three beats a minute faster than it was the time before. <laughs> got to evolve, things got to change. Yeah, we used to suffer from that as well. I used to moan to the band that we used to play them so fast. It's too, too fast to sing to. It's too fast to sing to. Too fast to sing to. Sing to. <laughs> oh. well, by the way, I, I did love the uh, the songs that came out on Scooby Doo some time ago. Those those were well, great. Well, that's right. That was my greatest moment. So I know it seems as though I've been laying fallow, but I've been busy. Yeah. Feeling. Yeah. And I mean. We've done Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We've done Clueless. Gross Point uh, Blank. Gross Point Blank. That, that was but, my introduction to you as a, as a teenager, yeah. But please, let's be honest. Scooby Two Doo. songs on Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo. Uh, hello, Scooby-Doo trumps all, doesn't it? <laughs> it you know? does. So, <laughs> yeah, it was my, my greatest moment, really, I would say, in music. And, um, and even better, it's turned out to be one of the most popular episodes, and it keeps getting replayed. Mm. I get little messages about it showing in Brazil. Thankfully, the songs are great. Yeah, so. yeah. But, but it, it, it was a, a, a labor of love, mm. and I met with all the scriptwriters, and we had um, emotive, uh, you know, buzzword meetings, and I integrated some of their suggestions into the lyrics, and we backwards and forwards on it until... Everybody was really pleased that we'd we'd got a lyric that focused uh, in the same general direction as the script did, mm-hmm. and uh, everybody was sort of invested in it then. And because of that, they did an absolutely killer job on the editing of it. I mean, it's just... I, I get them to do my next video. <laughs> Probably wouldn't be a bad, a bad idea at all. Scooby-Doo, eat your mother's face. <laughs> there it is! Dave, it's been re- really fun talking to you. I-, I feel like that's a great way to wrap up this um, this interview here. I cannot wait to hear the beat record. You say it's going to be out in February? Yes, that's right. We're aiming at February the 17th All right. because it's equidistant between Valentine's Day on the 14th mm-hmm. and my birthday on the 19th. But like every great record, who knows when it's coming out? You know, <laughs> I used to tease A&R people. They'd say, uh, I'd ask them, okay, what month did Rubber Soul come out then? And they'd always go, 1963. And I go, exactly. Everybody knows what year a great record comes out, and nobody knows what month a record yeah. came out. Can't wait to hear it. Uh, thank you so much for calling. What a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed, sir. Great fun. Sooner or later.